When I was in high school, I played a lot of basketball. Uh, and the star player of our basketball team was Ryan Flanders. Ryan's parents were divorced, so he lived with his mom and didn't see his dad very often. So Ryan would always invite his dad to come watch him play basketball. Before every game, Ryan called his dad and invited him to the game, and his dad always promised that he would come, but his dad never came. That year, we won our division, and we got to play a state championship game in the San Diego Sports Arena. This is where the Clippers used to play, and so this is a really big deal for us. Several different uh, college scouts were coming to the game to watch Ryan play, but there was just really one person that he wanted to see there, and that was his dad. Ryan called his dad and told him about the big game and begged him to actually come to this game. And his dad promised him that he would definitely be there. Ryan had the game of his life and we won the game and there was this big crowd. And so Ryan was looking and looking and, and hoping to see his dad. But once again, his dad never come. His dad broke his promise. You know, all of us have had people break promises to us. And for many of us, it has been someone real close to us, someone perhaps like Ryan, our dad, who broke his promise to us. Now, the reason I share that with you is because this morning we're going to be looking at two different promises of God given to two different people. And I think oftentimes we struggle trusting that God will do what he promises to do. And I think one of the main reasons we struggle to trust that God will keep his promises is because we have had people in our lives that we trust break promises to us. And we take that hurt, we take that disappointment, we take that fear of broken promises that we have experienced in our life and we place them on God. We think, this has been my experiences with the promises that people have given to me and they've broken them time and time again. And so then we say, God, you're probably going to break your promises to me as well. You're probably not going to be any different than the people my whole life who've been breaking promises to me. But something we're going to learn this morning here in Luke chapter 1 is that God always keeps his promises. God always does what he says he'll do. You can be confident that God will never break a promise to you. So this morning, we're going to be looking at two different promises of God given to two different people. And the two different people are going to respond in different ways to the promise of God. We're going to see one bad response and we're going to see one good response to the promise of God. But with both responses, there's going to be a lot for us to learn. I think we're going to be able to relate to both the good and the bad responses. And hopefully we can take some really good applicable things with us this morning. The first promise of God that we're going to look at here in chapter uh, Luke chapter 1 is centered around the birth of John the Baptist. So let's see what we can learn, starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no children 
because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. The events that Luke is going to share with us in this chapter happened during a specific time frame. They were during the days of Herod. Now this is good because it gives us a clear time frame for the events of this chapter. The Herod that Luke is referring to is known as Herod the Great, who is at the end of a long and terrible reign as Israel's king. Now something important to note is that Herod was made the king of Judea by the Romans in 40 BC. So he was not chosen by the Israelites, nor did they want him as their king. Now this was the not, not the normal way in which a, uh, the Israelites uh, were given a king. They usually chose it. He was extremely brutal uh, and killed many of the Jewish Sanhedrin leaders who opposed him. Uh, he also killed his own sons and wife who opposed him. So he was a very brutal, brutal man. After 20 years of rule and an attempt to try and get the Israelites to like him better, he did a huge renovation to the Israelites' temple starting in 20 BC. But what he's most known for happened after Jesus was born. When Jesus was born, Herod found out about it, and he heard that people were saying that Jesus was going to be the king of the Jews. Well, Herod felt like he was the king of the Jews, and so he was very, very concerned about the uprising of this new king. And so in order to stop that, Herod ordered that every Jewish boy under the age of two years old be killed. A couple years after that horrific event, Herod died, and his son, who also took the name Herod, took the throne in his place. And so at the end of Jesus' life, when you see him come before Herod in the trial, that is not Herod the Great, that is Herod the Great's son. So the events surrounding the birth of John the Baptist took place at the end of Herod the Great's reign over Israel, which gives us a good time frame for them. So Luke starts by sharing with us when these events happen, and then he goes on to tell us who John the Baptist's parents were and some significant things about them. John's father's name was Zacharias, and his mother's name was Elizabeth. Now, we're told that Zacharias was a priest. Now, the priests were the only ones who were allowed to do ministry in the temple. We're also told something very significant about this couple in verse 6. We're told both Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous before God, walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, if you're going to have something said about you, especially in the Bible, this is a pretty good thing to be said. We're told that these two people were very godly people. They walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. This was a godly couple, but they had one big problem that verse 7 tells us. They couldn't have any children because Elizabeth was barren and they were now well advanced in years. So Elizabeth hasn't been able to have any children. She is barren, that's the reason, and now she and Zacharias are old. They are well past the childbearing years. Now not being able to have children is a very sad thing for people today. But it was a much, much worse thing for people in that day, especially women. 
In that society back in the time of Elizabeth, the main worth placed upon women was their ability to have children. And if a woman couldn't have children, she was viewed as pretty worthless and was a bit of an outcast because of it. So the fact that Zacharias and Elizabeth couldn't have children would have been very difficult for them in that society, especially for Elizabeth. So let's see what Luke tells us happens next. Verse 8. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Now remember, Zacharias was a priest. And we're told that while he was serving as priest before God, something very important happened. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now in the book of Exodus, we have the start of the priesthood. And it tells us how they would minister to the Lord by burning incense on the altar of incense. But by this time of Zacharias, a long time has transpired from Exodus to now, there were estimated to be about 20,000 priests. Because there were so many priests, all of them couldn't serve at the same time. So they developed this custom of the priesthood where they would draw lots to determine which priest would serve when. Now, an important thing to note is that receiving the lot to burn incense in the holy place of the temple might fall to a priest only once in his lifetime. And for many priests, they would never get this opportunity to offer incense in the holy place. So to a godly man like Zacharias, this would have been one of the biggest events of his life. It would have been a tremendous privilege. It would have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This is something he would most likely never get to experience again. I'm sure Zacharias must have wondered what it was going to be like to enter the holy place and offer incense before the Lord. And, and I'm sure maybe he wondered if God had something special to communicate to him in that wonderful event of his life. So for Zacharias to get the opportunity to go and offer incense on the golden altar would have been a huge privilege. Now before dawn, hundreds of worshipers would gather at the temple. Then the morning sacrifice began when the incense priest, who this time was Zacharias, he walked through the temple, through the outer courts as he struck a gong-like instrument. He would then go into the holy place where he would offer up incense to the Lord. And as he entered the holy place, those hundreds of people who were gathered at the temple would bow before the Lord. They would spread out their hands in silent prayer because they knew at that moment the incense priest prayed in the holy place in the very presence of God for the entire nation of Israel. And as Zacharias was there in the holy place praying for the nation of Israel, something amazing happened. Something very unique happened. Let's see what happens starting in verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, 
For your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zacharias offers incense and praise to the Lord. We're told an angel of the Lord appears to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. This amazing thing happens. This angel appears to Zacharias, and when Zacharias sees the angel, he does what you pretty much see everyone in Bible who sees an angel do. He is struck with fear. Fear falls upon him, and the angel says, don't be afraid, Zacharias, and then the angel tells Zacharias probably the greatest news he had ever heard in his life. Zacharias, your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, I want you to think about something for a moment. Luke has already told us that Zacharias and Elizabeth were very godly people. So I think it is safe to assume that they were a couple who prayed. I also think it's safe to assume that one of the prayers that they prayed for was that God would bless them with a child something that they were desperate for. Luke also tells us that they were well advanced in years. And so they could have been praying for a child for 30 to 40 years now. And now this angel appears before Zacharias and he says, your prayer is heard. The one thing that Zacharias desperately wanted was a son. And I'm sure He prayed often for that son, and now he is told that prayer is finally going to be answered. But not only is he going to have a son, we're told that his son is going to be a very important and significant person. The angel says he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. This is most likely a reference to the vow of a Nazarite found in Numbers chapter 6, a vow to be specially consecrated to God for the rest of your life. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. John was going to have a special filling from the Holy Spirit because God had a special and important ministry for him to accomplish. He will turn many of the children of Israel to their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist would prepare the way for the Messiah by turning the children of Israel's heart to God before the Messiah came. The pattern of his ministry would be after the great prophet Elijah. Elijah was a man who God called to a radical repentance. He he called the Israelites to a radical repentance, should I say. And that is what John was going to do as well. This angel quotes the final verse 
in the Old Testament when speaking about John. He quotes Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, which says, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. These were essentially the last words in the Old Testament and the last thing that God had shared with the nation of Israel. Now, Zacharias, being a priest, would have been very familiar with Malachi and his writings and would have known that this angel was saying, your son is going to be the one that will fulfill Malachi's prophecy. Your son's going to be the one that God sends to prepare the way for the Messiah. So this angel gives Zacharias an amazing promise. Your prayers have been heard and you're going to have a son. And your son is going to do great things for the Lord. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. And he is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, probably the two greatest things that Zacharias prayed for were to have a son and for the Messiah to come. And so here he's told that both of those prayers are going to be answered and his son is going to play a significant role in preparing the way for the Messiah. So Zacharias gets this wonderful promise that his prayer is going to be answered. But something important for us to note here is that Zacharias never gave up on praying for his son. You know, many commentators believe that when the angel says, for your prayer is heard, that the angel was referring to a prayer that Zacharias was praying right then in front of the altar of incense, right there in the holy place, that right there, Zacharias once again prayed that God would give him a son. So Zacharias and his wife are well past the childbearing years, and he's still praying that God would give him a son. I think this is such a wonderful example to us when it comes to prayer. You know, many prayers take a long time to be answered, and we shouldn't give up on praying for those things. You know, sometimes we pray something for a long, long time. We pray for the salvation of a loved one. We pray for a calling or a ministry that God would give to us. We, we pray that God would bring that special person to us. We, we pray for healing for ourselves or for someone that we love. But sometimes after months and after years, of heartfelt prayer, we give up out of discouragement. We give up because that prayer hasn't been answered in the time frame we wanted, and we conclude that it never is going to get answered. We think since a certain amount of time has gone by, you know, God must not be listening. When Zacharias and Elizabeth got so old that they were past the years of having children, they could have given up on this prayer. They could have concluded, this is never going to happen. We're too old. If God was going to answer our prayer, then he would have done it when we were still able to have children. But now, you know, it's too late. But they didn't do that. They continued to pray and trust that one day God would answer their prayer. When you and I pray, we need to pray with the same kind of perseverance and persistence to continue to bring those requests before the Lord and to not give up on them. You see, God usually gives one of three answers to our prayers. Yes, 
and then he does what we ask for, no, and then he doesn't do what we ask for, and wait, where he just has us wait for the answer. Now, personally, wait is my least favorite answer to prayer because I don't like to wait. But God knows the perfect timing to do something, and that is when he does it. And so you have struggled with waiting if you, you know, kind of consumed with everything coming fast like we are in our society. You know, this can be difficult, but this is something important for us to do. So don't let the fact that you have to wait keep you from continuing to pray for that request. Let's be like Zacharias and persevere and persist until we get a clear answer from God. So this angel shares this wonderful news with Zacharias, and now we're going to see how Zacharias responds. We're going to see that even though you can pray for something for a while, doesn't mean that necessarily when the response comes, you're going to respond in a good way. Starting verse 18, it says this, And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Zacharias hears the promise that he's going to have a son, but what he wants more than a promise is a sign. He says, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Zacharias' attitude was, thanks for the promise, angel, but knowing the condition of my wife and I, this is a big one. Can you give us a sign to prove it? Zacharias wanted more than a promise. He wanted something to make him confident this was going to happen, especially since he was old. Now, I find that a little bit humorous because I'm sure Zacharias has never seen an angel before, and you have this angel standing in front of you who's telling you these things. That should have been a pretty good sign in and of itself. But, you know, seeing this angel wasn't enough. He wanted more. He wanted proof. You know, oftentimes I think we struggle with this as well. And I think it's actually very common to struggle with this after we have prayed for something for a while. Because as time goes on and your prayer isn't answered, you have these doubts that start to creep in. These doubts that this prayer is never going to get answered, that God's not listening, that, you know, might as well just give up on this. Then after praying for a while, God gives you a promise. A promise that he's going to do what you've been praying for, but, you know, now that's not enough. I want some kind of sign to prove it. I want something more than just the promise of God. But you know what? The promises of God should always be enough for us because God never breaks his promises. The Bible is full of promises that God gives to us, but oftentimes we miss out on enjoying them because we're not willing to believe God's promises. 
Oftentimes a promise isn't enough. We want something more and we miss out on that promise, on that blessing that promise brings. And that is what we see here with Zacharias. Zacharias wasn't willing to just accept the promise from the angel Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel has some sad news for Zacharias. He says, Behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Zacharias paid a big price for his unbelief. God made him mute until his son was born. So he was mute for nine months. Now, you might think, well, what's the big deal? It's not that big of a deal, just not being able to speak. Well, I want you to think about the wonderful news Zacharias had to share. He was about to have a son in his old age, and that son was going to be the one that God would use to prepare the way for the Messiah. So, his news is, I'm about to have a son, and the Messiah is coming. The two greatest things that he could share with people, he has this wonderful news, and now he's not able to share it because he's mute. He didn't get to enjoy the blessing of sharing this wonderful news because he didn't believe the promise of God. Now, Zacharias' unbelief did not make God take back his promise. God didn't say, all right, Zacharias, you're no longer going to get to have a son. It just kept Zacharias from enjoying the promise. And when we don't believe God's promises for our lives, we don't necessarily destroy the promise, but we do destroy our ability to enjoy the promise. We need to trust that what God promises to give us, He will. And He will do it in His timing, not in our timing. So if this morning you're struggling to trust in a promise that God has given to you, let Zacharias be a warning to you of what you can miss out on. Let's see what happens next in verse 21. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. When Zacharias came out of the temple, he was supposed to stand on the temple steps overlooking the crowd and pronounce the priestly blessing on the people. But Zacharias couldn't speak, so he just gestured. He did a little charades there with the people, and, and they perceived that he had seen a vision. But he couldn't tell them what he saw and what he was told because he was mute. So after the days of his service as a priest were completed, he went back to his own house. And in verse 24, we see something very important. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. So here we see God keeping his promise. He enabled Elizabeth to conceive in her old age, and she said, The Lord has looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Remember, not being able to have children was a huge reproach in that time, and now God took that away from her. 
and we're told she hid herself five months, most likely to get some time alone with God before she started to show that she was pregnant. Now Luke is going to share with us about the actual birth of John the Baptist at the end of this chapter, Uh, but before he does that, we're going to hear of another visit from the angel Gabriel about another verse, or another, sorry, birth. And another promise is going to be given by God to another person. Let's see who this person is. Verse 26 says this. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you had found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is born shall be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now most of us are familiar with this section of scripture because we hear it at Christmas time. The angel Gabriel goes to Nazareth to speak to a woman who's named Mary. And we're told two important things about Mary. First is that she was betrothed to Joseph, which was like being engaged. And second, she was a virgin. And Gabriel gives Mary a promise. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Just like with Zacharias, the angel Gabriel promises Mary that she's going to have a son miraculously, what his name should be and what he's going to do. So the angel Gabriel says, you're going to conceive even though you're a virgin and, and you will have a son and you'll still name him John. And he goes on to tell her something that must have blown her mind. Your son is going to be the Messiah. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Gabriel here is quoting 2 Samuel 7, 16, which says, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. This is something that the prophet Nathaniel prophesied concerning 
the Messiah. He was speaking to David and talking about the Messiah who would rule and reign on David's throne forever. So Gabriel's telling Mary, you're going to have the promised Messiah who's going to reign on David's throne forever. Mary responds by saying, how can this be since I don't know a man? Mary's asking, how can I get pregnant since I'm a virgin? And the angel tells her how. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who will be born will be called the Son of God. Mary, the way you're going to get pregnant is the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and he's going to be the one that impregnates you and the Holy One who is born to you is going to be called the Son of God. And Gabriel goes on to say something very important. Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and now this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Gabriel encourages Mary, hey, Elizabeth, who was called barren, who no one thought could ever have a child, she's now pregnant, six months pregnant, actually. And he says to Mary something that's important for all of us to remember about God. With God, nothing is impossible. Let me say that again. With God, nothing is impossible. God can take a barren woman and have her conceive. And God can do something even more miraculous and have a virgin conceive. Because with God, nothing is impossible. Too often we miss this amazing truth and we think that our circumstances, our problems, our difficult situations are too big for God to handle. That if it seems impossible to us, it must be impossible for God. We often take our limitations and, and place them on God. Well, God, I can't do this. I won't be able to handle this. So you must not be able to do this. You must not be able to handle this either. But we need to remember, we serve the God of the impossible. We serve the God of the miraculous. We serve the God who spoke the world into existence. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is too big for God to handle. Whatever you're going through, whatever problem you're dealing with, understand this, God is more than able to handle it. In the Gospel of Mark Chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. What you're dealing with might seem impossible to you, but it's not with God. So look to him to do the possible in and through your life. So Gabriel tells Mary, nothing is impossible with God. And Mary responds by saying, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Mary responds with belief and trust in what Gabriel told her about what God was going to do. She responds in believing the promise of God for her. And that's the way that we need to respond to what God promises to do for us. We should respond with a belief and trust in God's promises. Even if the promise is impossible, like it was for Zacharias, like it was for Mary, we need to believe and be confident it's not impossible for God. 
see what happens in verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed it is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. After meeting the angel Gabriel, Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth meets Mary, she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and John the Baptist leaps in her womb. And she says to Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. You know, Mary was truly a blessed woman being chosen by God to have the Messiah. But one of the main reasons she was so blessed is because she believed what God promised her. She believed that God was going to do this amazing thing through her. Once again, we see this connection with the blessings that come when we believe in the promises of God. Zacharias missed out on his blessings or enjoying them because he didn't believe and Mary was blessed because she did. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoiced in God my Savior for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. And for he who is mighty has done great things for me and his holy is his name and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation for he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Mary responds to Elizabeth with what many call the Song of Mary. Within this song, there are 12 references to the Old Testament, which shows that Mary was someone who studied and knew God's word. And, and there's a lot of great things in this song. And because this is such a long chapter, we're not going to deal with every aspect of it. But, you know, Mary's song starts by revealing her humility. God has regarded the lowly states of his maidservant. And her song goes on to show the futility of trusting in yourself and being prideful and trusting in riches. God has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And she finishes her strong, her song, sorry, revealing that God has kept his promise and that he uh, was going to do what he said he would do with Israel. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. 
Mary knew that God was faithful to keep his promises, and God was using her to fulfill his greatest promise of all, the promise of the Messiah. So after spending three months with Elizabeth, Mary went back home, and now we're going to see the birth of John the Baptist. Now, Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy on her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father, what he would have him called, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea, and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. So God's promise to Zacharias and Elizabeth finally came true. They had a son, and the angel Gabriel, as he said, many will rejoice at his birth, and many did rejoice at the birth of John. When they came to circumcise the baby on the eighth day after it was born, the priests were going to call him after his father, Zacharias, because in that culture, you know, you would normally have a name that was connected to family. But Elizabeth said, no, his name's going to be John. And they were taken back by this because no one had that name in their family. And, and so they go to uh, Zacharias and they motion to him, hey, what should we call your son? And he asks for uh, something to write on. And he writes, his name shall be John. And right at that moment, his tongue was loose, just like angel Gabriel said, you will be mute until the day these things take place. And now these things have taken place, and Zachariah's tongue is loosed. He's able to speak, and the people wondered what kind of child this will be. They're marveling at this great, great miracle birth. So here we see God's promise came true exactly as he said it would. And once again, this is a reminder that God always keeps his promises. We can be confident that God will always do what he says he will do. Verse 67. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that he would save, be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercies promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of our God, with which the day spring from on high shall be visited 
to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. We're told that Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And now this is quite significant because the prophetic voice of the Lord had been silent since Malachi was written, which was 400 years earlier. So for 400 years, God has been silent. And now God finally speaks again through Zacharias. And he has a wonderful message. He is declaring that the promise that I have given throughout the Old Testament, the promise of the Messiah is now going to happen. The Messiah is going to come and redeem and save the nation of Israel and the world. God is going to do what he promised to do through the prophets. And notice the specific things that Zacharias promises about the Messiah. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The promise of the Messiah was something that the Israelites had been waiting on for a long time. It was something that they wanted, needed, and prayed for, but they had to wait for God's perfect timing. And in God's perfect timing, he fulfilled his promise. God always does what he promises to do, but he doesn't always do it when we want him to. He does it in his perfect timing. So we need to be patient and wait and trust that God's timing is best. Trust that he knows better than we do. Trust that even if he says wait, it's for a good reason. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, we're told, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. One of our biggest struggles is that we lean on our own understanding like Zacharias did, instead of trusting in God. And we often do that because we forget that with God, nothing is impossible. It might be impossible to our understanding, like having a baby when you're too old or when you're a virgin, but it's not impossible to God. So when God tells us things, we need to trust him with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. Luke finishes this chapter telling us that John grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So in this chapter, we have a wonderful reminder that God always keeps his promises. And because God always keeps his promises, you and I should always trust in the promises of God for us. You know, one of my favorite promises of God is found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, this morning, I want us to close taking advantage of this particular promise. We're going to take a few minutes to be quiet before the Lord. And I encourage you, if you are here and, and you have some unconfessed sin in your life, 
that you would take time just to confess those things between you and God this morning as we're just quiet, just come before the Lord and bring those things to him, confess those things to him, and take advantage of this wonderful promise that he is faithful and just to forgive you of those things and to cleanse you of the unrighteousness that that has brought into your life. So let's just take some time to do that. We'll have silence and then I will close us in prayer. <laughs> 